Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Audio Vault on 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star is brought to you by AA Best Bail Bonds. 225-2121. Or online at mybestbailbonds.com. R&R in the morning on 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star. Hey, good morning to you. It's R&R in the morning here on San Antonio Sports Star. James Pledger sitting in for Rudy J, who's taking some well-deserved time uh, as we get into the football season. We're heading into week three of the NCAA football season. We promised you he's here. Danny Cannell's here, uh, courtesy of BetOnline.com. Uh, Hey, Danny, welcome aboard, man. We're glad you're here. we got a lot to talk about down here in South Texas as uh, uh, the Longhorns are headed east to Tuscaloosa. Let's look there first. Uh, on the basics, let's talk about Alabama's offense first. Uh, Danny, welcome on. First of all, good to hear from you. I'm glad you're here. Um, let's talk about Bama's offense and brand-new quarterback and what we can expect to see from that after their first showing against Middle Tennessee. Oh, my goodness. Fellas, what's going on, man? It's hey. great to be on with you. So I'm really like, you know, you got to like emotionally try to separate yourself and bring some rational thought to the table when we talk about both these teams, Texas and Bama, because, you know, kind of different openers in their performances kind of response to it. But I keep wondering, was Nick Saban like sandbagging us all when he was talking about this three-man race and competition for quarterback? Because what you saw from Jalen Milrow was pretty spectacular and I think would make, you know, Steve Sarkeesian and his, his defensive coordinator, Pete Kwiatkowski, pretty nervous because while it didn't look the same as it did with Bryce Young or Mac Jones or Tua Tonga-Valoa, it still looks pretty dang explosive, right? I mean, he is a dynamic runner, uh, but the deep shots, he's going to take some deep shots down the field. He connected on a few of those. You know, and on the afternoon against Middle Tennessee, he had five total touchdowns. And you're like, holy cow. Like, I thought there was going to be a drop-off offensively. But like everything, you have to take it in consideration the opponent. So I think this offense is going to look different, though. And I think that's what most people thought coming into the season is that, yeah, you'll have more of a a quarterback run-based offense. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to be as explosive, which is something that I – you know, probably thought it would have been a little bit more conservative, but they showcased the ability to hit on those big plays early. So are we expecting more of the offense that we saw with Jalen Hurts with Alabama then? Yes, I think so. I think that is a pretty good comp, but I still think Milrow is like a more dynamic runner. So like, yeah, because Jalen Hurts is a great runner. Like we've seen him do that in the NFL and we saw him do it at Oklahoma, and we saw him do it at Alabama. But I think Jalen Milrow is like a bigger, harder, physical quarterback to come to bring down and maybe even more of a little bit of an electric runner, like faster, you know, more explosive. And Jalen Hurts is thick, like don't get me wrong, but there's, there's something about a quarterback that's his size and Milrow that just kind of intimidates you. And if I'm, if I'm Texas, I have one thought and one thought only – 
It is stop him running the football. And it, even if it presents some, you know, one-on-one opportunities on the outside that could put your defensive backs in a precarious position with one-on-ones, I'm saying I'm going to sell out. I just cannot let Jalen Milrow beat us with his legs. And if he hits a big play, you kind of tip your cap and say, well done. You know, good job. You got us on that one. But I don't think you can let him get going on the ground because if you do, it's just going to make a really long afternoon for the Longhorns, I think. Uh, Danny Cannell joining us here on San Antonio Sports Style, brought to you by BetOnline.net, uh, former Florida State quarterback, NFL quarterback, college football analyst. You know who Danny Cannell is, no question. Uh, uh, t- tell me about uh, what you think about uh, Quinn Ewers, what you saw in that first half, and can he bring what he brought in the first half of last year's game, uh, minus a little bit of talent behind him in Bijan? Do you expect to see the Quinn Ewers we've been told about, or do we see the first half Quinn Ewers against Bama? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what we get. I like him a lot. So here's what I'll tell you kind of my thought process, which is kind of unfolded. I'll give you a little uh, peek behind the hood. So all off season, watching this game, and it's a game that's been circled on everybody's calendar, I really like the Longhorns, right? I was like, man, last year's game – they should have won. You mentioned Quinn Ewers in that game. He was 9 of 12 for 134 yards, carving up Alabama's defense. And then, of course, he had the clavicle injury, which took him out of the game. Um, but then we saw, and I think one of the best decisions that Sark made and announcements he made was after the spring game. Because, look, Arch Manning is the massive elephant in that quarterback room. Malik Murphy, the other quarterback, you know, played outstanding in the spring game. He could have easily, Sark could have said, we're going to continue this competition in the offseason and in the training camp. He didn't. He said, this is Quinn Ewer's team. He is our starter. And I thought that was a great move because, one, it takes a lot of pressure off Quinn Ewer's, but it also says, this is your team. And to me, for him to do that, it tells me that Quinn Ewer's did everything he was supposed to do, that I think he was humbled from the adversity that he faced last year. Um, and so I kind of was like, man, and you gotta, you gotta acknowledge that. Yes, you lost B. John Robinson, but the talent they have at the skill position is pretty spe- special there for the Longhorns. So I love Texas kind of like all offseason, man, they're getting a touchdown. I like them to go into Tuscaloosa and cover that. If not, if not win the game, then all of a sudden you get what we just talked about. Jalen Milrow looking really good and you get Texas who, yes, it was a comfortable win. And, and Quinn Ewers finished the day pretty strong statistically, but a little bit of a slow ish start. And so I was like, man, Bama looks tough. Like, I don't know, is, is Bama just going to go out there and roll them? So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all over the map. As I'm kind of doing more and more analysis and kind of just studying more film, I also think that Steve Sarkeesian knows against Rice, you don't have to show the full playbook in and, offense and defensively. You know, you don't have to show them your game plan. You can come out a little bit more conservative, and I think that's why it wasn't a complete blowout and shellacking. So – I'm finding myself, again, really liking the Longhorns with that touchdown. As long as it's out of touchdown, this line moved a little bit. Yeah. On Tuesday, it was at four and a half, and I was like, oh, boy, like this thing's getting that close. At a full touchdown or more, I like the Longhorns here with the points because I do think they're going to be able to find ways to score. Sark is an outstanding game, pl- uh, game planner. I think he knows, clearly he knows Saban's defensive philosophies. He faced them so many times in practice. And in last year that he had success early, and even without Quinn Ewers, they still did pretty well offensively. I think they'll be able to put up points, and I'm still not 100% 
convinced that Jalen Milrow is just going to all of a sudden be zero drop-off. He's Danny Cannell, brought to you by Bet Online. He likes the numbers, so do I. Hey, we saw the first iteration of the arranged marriage there with uh, Texas A&M and uh, Jimbo and Bobby Petrino. You certainly have some unique uh, uh, perspective with Jimbo. What do you think of that offense, and how much of Petrino did you see in the play calling? So this is probably one of my boldest takes of the offseason. Um, I think Texas A&M is going to win the SEC West. Um, I think it works. And, you know, I, and, you know when, when the announcement was made that Jimbo Fisher was bringing in Bobby Petrino to take over the offense, I, and I think this is, not, this is not a Danny Cannell take. This is a national take. Like, it was either going to be boom or bust. Mm. I don't know if there's a room for, like, it's going to be okay because of the polarization of the personalities, the egos the coverage, the expectations. Like, I do think it works, though. Everywhere Petrino has been, he's had a tremendous amount of success with quarterbacks, with the, which he's worked with. Quarterback development is sort of his specialty. And I thought you saw some of that on display. Again, you have to temper the excitement because it was New Mexico. This is a team that has struggled mightily. But if you gave out grades for week one, like Texas, we were just talking about them, I'd say it was a B-minus, C-plus grade. For Texas A&M, I thought it was an A, like a solid A and maybe an A-plus for what they brought to the table offensively. I think Connor Wegman is an outstanding, you know, physically gifted quarterback. They had Evan Stewart returning and Nia Smith, their leading receiver. He's got weapons. So I really liked what I saw early. And now, again, it'll be a different scenario when you have to play against the Hurricanes. Clearly, they're much more talented than New Mexico. But I think this works, and I think they go on the road and this is one, actually, where I do like A&M to win as the favorite, which is always a little bit dicey college football. Playing on the road, you know, playing road favorites is a tricky game that doesn't win a lot. But Miami, again, they're a team that a lot of people saw against Miami of Ohio and are all of a sudden sold on, like it's fixed, all the problems. But I still need to see that version work before I go there. So I actually like Texas A&M and laying the points there on the road against the Hurricanes. Sweet. Talking about the Texas A&M Aggies, though, and the one question that I have, because you talked about the egos involved and everything when it comes to Petrino and Jimbo and working together, what happens when those two egos do happen to stumble across some adversity in the season? That's the million-dollar question, right? And one of the things that really impressed me was how there was a press conference. Bobby Petrino was talking with the media. And, you know, the, the, everyone has been asking, who's got the plays? Who's in control? Who's doing I think it's firmly, I think it is Bobby Petrino's offense. I think Jimbo has input. He's an offensive mind. But I think one of the reasons that he wasn't hired on the day that he was offered, because there was, if you remember, there was a little bit of a delay, probably a two- or three-week delay, I think part of that negotiation that took place, yes, was probably money, but I think it was also control. And I think Bobby Trino said, I'm only coming there if you let me do my, like, let me have my space. And so I, I heard this press conference and Bobby Trino talked about letting, you know, he said, I am the offensive coordinator. Jimbo Fisher is the head coach. And I, my job is to keep the head coach happy. I thought that was him checking his ego at the door a little bit. But also, like, like, he didn't exactly surrender and say, well, it's his offense. No, he just said, I'm here to make the head coach happy. And I, I do think that will be a fascinating, like, let's say it's, you know, Miami wins and it's 14-3 to or 21-7, lower scoring game, and the offense doesn't look great, and Connor Wegman struggles. 
yes, you could see some very, you know, tough questions and some, some awkward dynamics that unfold there. I just, I just feel like this, there's a very clear cut delineation and whose fault it is if it does. And, and I don't, I don't think Jim, I think Jimbo's a very savvy head coach. I don't think he's going to say, well, that wasn't my offense. You know, that's his, <laughs> I, I just think they'll, I think they'll handle that adversity when they face it. But again, you guys heard me like, I, I am not anticipating that adversity. Now it could all, I could look like an absolute fool after this weekend, but I think they're five and zero oh when Alabama comes to town October 7th. I do. And I, I think this thing will continue to get better. And they have Auburn and Arkansas. You know, Auburn at home, Arkansas, that neutral site, they always do. But I really, I really think there's a chance. And we've, granted, we've seen that story before. A&M defeat, you know, undefeated, a ton of expectations, high national ranking, and then Alabama comes to town and kind of puts them in their place. I, I wouldn't be surprised if A&M possibly even pulls off that upset as well. So I, in case you haven't noticed, I am bullish on the Aggies. And we'll see if I'm right or wrong here, possibly as early as this weekend. Danny, uh, <laughs> there's a bottle of bourbon headed your direction. What you're saying, I am buying. He is Danny Cannell. Only if I'm right, though. Only if I'm right. <laughs> well, if you're wrong. I don't want to know what's coming my way if I'm wrong. It'll be the empty the bottle. <laughs> I will have drunk the other uh, right. bottle before you get there. But before we get to the story of the early season in Colorado. Oh, can I, I'm sorry. Can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. I'm sorry. I just want to follow up. The other thing, as much as we focused on the offense, the defensive line for the Aggies might be the best in the SEC. You know, they have, like, we forget Jimbo has been recruiting. And, yes, there were some issues with that number one overall recruiting class. But there is NFL-level talent on that defensive front seven. So, like, as much as we're going to focus on the offense, I think that defense is something to be reckoned with, too. Sorry to interrupt you. I no, 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 I great give point. You, I was hoping for maybe no. two bottles of no, 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 You might very well get it with that as well. And I, I do want to talk about the, the ramifications of Dion and, and Colorado and all that went down over the weekend. But before we do, hey, you've got some in, insight to Florida State. Norvell's got a team. and Jordan Travis is, is the player at the right time. Put, put them in perspective the, right, the return of Florida State in the grand scheme of where the ACC finds itself in, in the football world, because I think what's going on Florida State matters to the bigger conference more than anything else right now. Yeah, I think so, too. And I also, you know, it wasn't great that Clemson lost to Duke right. on the national stage on Labor Day, but I also think this just speaks volumes to the cyclical nature of college football. You know, we've seen the rise and fall of many programs. It wouldn't just be Florida State, you know, Texas. You know, they've, they've been a great example. Up and down, roller coaster ride. The Miami Hurricanes, how about their roller coaster ride? Up and down, one of the best programs, you know, in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. They're t- still trying to search to get it back. And Florida State now facing, you know, our own, you know, adversity. Since 2016, we haven't had much success. And last year, the 10-win season, and there was even a little bit of skepticism coming in this year. Well, was that fluky? You know, they did lose three games in a row in the middle of it. And, you know, I think that's a valid question. And I think that's something that Florida State was went in a huge way of, of showing that last year wasn't a fluke with that convincing win over LSU. But I, here's what's interesting about it. The ACC – what needs Florida State to be back and to be this national powerhouse. And Florida State obviously wants to be back, but Florida State's also been rattling the cages about wanting to leave the ACC. So, like, if Florida State, let's say they get, let's say they win the ACC and they get to the playoff. I don't even say they don't have to win the national championship. Let's say they get there. Florida State, who's been pounding the table 
to get, you know, some more money from the ACC or a, a renewed TV contract with the ACC, all of a sudden it gives them a little more power and ability to flex their muscles and threaten, hey, if you guys don't take care of us, we're leaving. Like that puts the ACC under a little bit of pressure. So in this wacky world that we live in where we've seen this movement, it's, it's kind of like we used to just be able to talk about Florida State, the football team, and can they win a national championship? Now it's like, well, what does this mean in the big scope of things? Does this position them to make an exit to the SEC or Big Ten? And I think those are all very valid question marks that nobody – I was just in Tallahassee uh, yesterday. I was talking to the quarterback club there. That's the number one question mm -hmm. around town is, yes, is our, you know, can we win this year? But it's also, where the heck are we playing in two or three years? And no one knows the answer to that question. What's the sentiment? What do you guys want? Um, there's a lot of – I would say it's probably 70% of Florida State fans want to go to the SEC. I'd say 30% fans – and I would put myself in the minority. Mm -hmm. I would love to stay in the ACC, but not at, not at the current setup. You know, it's just not favorable. It's unsustainable. It's a, like, let's be honest, college football is an arms race. It's who can spend the most to buy the best recruiting classes, to buy the best transfer portal, to have the best facilities. And if you're at a $40 million a year deficit, which is pretty much what the numbers are versus those schools in the SEC and Big Ten, it's not sustainable. You can't keep going to your boosters and saying, hey, we got to keep up with those guys when those guys are getting TV money that they're able to fund their programs and you're asking your boosters – it's just not sustainable over the long haul. I mean, think about it over 10 years, that's $400 million. That's a lot of money to be asking for your boosters to donate. And so it's just not sustainable. So my sentiment is whatever it takes for Florida State to remain competitive is what Florida State needs to do. So if it's the SEC or Big Ten, I think there's a very real possibility the Big Ten is playing, yes. which, is in, which is weird. I, I don't think Florida State fits in the Big Ten. But again, if it means we can compete with Alabama and Ohio State and Texas and Texas A&M, then we need to go there. You know, that's kind of the mentality that Michael Alford, the athletic director, has taken as well. Interesting to follow. Follow. He is Danny Cannell, and certainly the inside of Florida State is well valued. Brought to you by Bet Online right now. Go check out the lines that are available. We just got a couple of seconds, and you talked about the the portal and everything that has played into where Florida State is. We saw what Prime Coach Prime did with Colorado. Uh, my question to you is: How many of the coaches around the, the uh, Power Five or the Power Four, however we want to count it, were rooting for Dion over the weekend? Ooh, <laughs> ah, that's a great question. Uh, I'd say probably 10%, yeah. you know, a very small percentage. Uh, but it's not like he's the only one doing it. He's just been the most brash, the most brazen, the most cutthroat and vocal about it. And by the way, he's also had cameras following him along the way. Because every coach, deep down, they probably would love to do what Dion did. Like when they take a new job, they have to turn over and they're like looking around the scholarship players and they're like, I got to win with this guy. You know, like that's a very, and yet they're kind of stuck with them because they don't want to cut a player or send them running. And Dion was pretty open. He's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to make some changes. We're getting rid of you if you can't play here. And there's a lot of coaches that would love to take that approach, but they can't. And so I do think it was a smaller percentage, but he's not the only one to do it. I mean, Kenny Dillingham at Arizona state, had 46 new players in the transfer portal. You know, other programs have had a ton of turnover, but no one to the magnitude that Colorado did. But I, I think, you know, I did not, I, did, I was one of the people that was wrong, a lot of people. 
And, you know, I didn't think they could beat TCU. I didn't think they could contend with TCU. But he proved me wrong. And I, I don't want to double down and say, well, they can't do it again. But I'm not, I'm not betting against them or for them. I want to get more intel, and I'm going to sit back and enjoy the ride. Because I know one thing, what, what Travis Hunter did playing over 130 snaps was awesome. And it was fun to watch, and it's something we haven't seen. I want to sit back and watch the, you know, watch the entertainment, grab some popcorn, and see how it unfolds. Because I do think it is good for college football. Whether you like him or hate him, he gets a lot of eyeballs and attention. Well said. Dan Cannell, former Florida State quarterback, NFL quarterback, and host on Sirius XM Radio. Danny, speaking on Coach Prime, what does it say that he was able to take that many new faces? And he was so, and I think that's what, people don't like about it at least coaches is that he was out in front about it talking about he was bringing his Louie with him and to tell people to hit the portal but what does it say that he had 71 new players look like they had all gotten on the same page even more so than what TCU did in their first game together because they looked entirely like the more disciplined team in that game what does that say about him as an actual coach to be able to do that with so many new players? So here I'll give you – so I just said I was completely wrong on what I thought Colorado would be this season. The one area I think I was right is that beneath the sunglasses, beneath the cowboy hat, beneath the quotes, <laughs> beneath the bravado, he is an outstanding coach. He really is. And I, I, and I also – here's a little secret. He's old school. Like, I think he's hard on his players. I think he's disciplined. I think he holds them to a high standard. And I don't think a lot of coaches do. I think a lot of coaches coddle their players now because they're worried about them leaving in the portal. But Dion is old school. He also hired an exceptional staff. You know, the coaches, Sean Lewis was a head coach at Kent State who left to be his offensive coordinator. Charles Kelly is a defensive coordinator who's had a lot of success on the defensive side of the ball. He hired a great staff. And then most importantly, in college, this resonates. There is so much power in belief and yourself and confidence. And Dion oozes confidence, and his players bought into it, and they believed they could win that game when nobody else did. They believed they could turn around this program, and they also put in a lot of work. Like, that, that continuity takes time, and it takes a lot of hard work. And I think this program has been working, and I think it paid off there on the big stage. Now, I do. I'm very fascinated because I don't know which way to go. Everybody and their brother is backing Colorado this weekend as a, uh, three and a half. That's a yeah. three-point favorite. I'm like, I, I kind of feel like Nebraska's the smart play, but I don't have the balls to back them. So, again, like I said, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy. I'm not going to lose any money. I just want to, you know, because, boy, you watch the haters because there are – there's no neutral on Dion. There's no neutral like, eh, they're either you love what he's doing or you hate it. And my goodness, the way he was, you know, showing all his haters up, they want to come out so bad and criticize him. Oh, my goodness. And then if he wins, he's going to be just taking that victory lap again. So I cannot wait to see what happens. Ride that wave. Bet online right now. Got Colorado at three and a half. That's a tough number. Hey, you said it. Great <laughs> staffs create a successful environments. So do great guests. Danny Cannell, thanks for stopping by, man. Check his podcast, Cover 3, all the CBS and serious work. That's always a pleasure, Danny. Thanks for stopping by today. Appreciate you guys, man. Have a great weekend.